Well, we are celebrating Easter this weekend. And sometimes people ask me, Pastor Robbie, why do we call it Easter? Where did that name come from? Well, there are actually a few theories as to, to where the name Easter came from. But there is some evidence that it comes from the root of a German word that means rising of the sun. And the sun rises in the what? In the east. And so you can kind of see how some of that works together. But, but that rising of the sun, that the idea of Easter, Easter is a time of rising. We could say Easter is a time for the resurrection. In fact, it'd be completely appropriate, as many Christians do, to say, Happy Resurrection Weekend. Amen? Happy Easter. Happy, happy Rising Day. Happy ri- Rising Weekend. And actually, that word has come to represent really our remembrance of, of really the whole week that we commemorate, that we remember Jesus' suffering, His death, and His resurrection. In fact, the word Easter is actually used that way in the old King James Bible. In Acts chapter 12, verse 4, it calls this period, this week, where we remember His suffering and His death and His resurrection. It calls that Easter. And Easter means a lot of different things to us, doesn't it? Easter means getting together with family. It's a great opportunity for us to, to, to see one another in such, in such busy schedules that we have. Maybe some time off. Can I get an amen from the kids? Time off from school. Amen, kids. From our, from our younger kids, our teenagers, even the college students. There's time off from school. Maybe, maybe getting some new dresses or new clothes. And somewhere along the way, even somehow got Easter bunny and eggs. And I got to be honest with you, those are a little bit of a stretch. Some people have said maybe the bunny came across because I don't know if you've ever had a bunny before, but they tend to reproduce pretty often. And so bunnies are really kind of a picture of life. And maybe the eggs came about because hundreds of years ago, some believe that during Lent, some of the Christians gave up. I have no idea why they give up eggs, okay? Maybe some of you can enlighten me. But some of the Christians, they, they, they gave up eggs as part of Lent. And maybe that was just, they were really excited to get their eggs back. And so they thought, hey, we'll decorate them. And we'll go looking for them and maybe even put some prizes in them. I don't know. I, I got to be honest with you. The whole bunny and eggs thing is a little bit of a stretch, but, but maybe, right? Maybe new life and, and getting your eggs back after Lent. And all of those things are good parts of Easter. All of those things can be fun ways to celebrate this special weekend. But today, we've come to church to be reminded of really what Easter is all about. Or maybe for somebody here, maybe you'd say, I really don't know what Easter is about. I got to be honest with you. And maybe you're going to learn for the first time. But to, to really understand what this holiday is about, and certainly you should be able to do that when you come to church. Amen. We're going to do that together today. And we're going to do it in terms of the word change. Because Easter is a story of change. And that's what we're going to talk about as we look at God's Word together. Change. You've already heard some stories of real life people. By the way, those weren't stock videos. Those were our people. Those are people that are sitting next to you or will be here tomorrow to worship. Those are real people whose lives, they can testify to the fact 
that Easter, that Christ, the Christ of the resurrection, has really truly changed their lives. Now, change is not always something that we're very open to, right? If we're just honest, if we feel like things are great, if we feel like my life is fine, if we say, as we many times say in our area, I'm all set, I think I'm good, then, then, then change can be something that's unwelcome. It can even be intimidating. But listen, if we're at a point in our lives where we realize that something is missing, where we realize that, that I feel lost, that my life is a mess. And by the way, if you've never come to that kind of a point in your life, we continue to see the stories of people's lives as a pastor. I've observed over the years of ministry that, that there comes a point in all of our lives where we realize something like this, something's missing, I feel lost, or my life has gotten into such a mess. And when you get to that point, change can be a good thing. It could actually be something that we long for. Change could even be something that we pray for, that we ask God to bring about in our lives. So as we celebrate and as we understand Easter better today, I want to start with this thought. And I believe one of the other pastors mentioned this just a moment ago. But I want you to write this down. Easter has changed really everything. Easter has changed everything. In fact, some have even said that what happened to Easter, I think this is, a, this is a really interesting word picture that really helps me to get the gravity of what happened on this weekend that we, that, we, that we celebrate. Some have said that Easter is the hinge of history. That everything that came before Easter 2,000 years ago when Christ died on the cross for our sins, He was buried and He rose again, that everything before that pointed to that, and that everything since that now flows from that reality. But why? Why would we say that? Why would we say that it is that important? Well, let's think about it a little bit more. And I want to I focus on the story that is found in the Bible, on the account, because really, to be honest with you, Easter is not an American holiday. Easter is not something that our culture came up with. I mean, we celebrate it across our culture, but if it wasn't for the Bible, we wouldn't even know anything called Easter. And so I want to look at this story. Do you know it? Have you ever read the story of Easter? Maybe you've heard of it, but maybe you've never actually read the account of what the Bible says Easter is really all about. And so I want us to kind of look at some of that together this weekend. First of all, the Bible says that Jesus is God. And He came to this earth as a human being. God came and lived on this earth. That is the story of Easter. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through Him. And apart from Him, nothing came into being that has come into being. You say, well, Pastor Robbie, how do you know that's talking about Jesus? Well, let's skip down to verse 14. And it says, in the Word, that Word that we were talking about in verses 1 through 3, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we, the Apostle John says, we, the Apostles, we walked with him as he was walking on this earth. We beheld, we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Bible says that God became a man. He came into this world and he lived the life that we live. I want you to write this down. God cares about us. God came. God didn't just stay up in heaven and say, hey, I see all the mess that you guys are in and we're in a mess. Amen. I mean, if we're honest, this world, my life, our lives, our families are a mess without God's help. The Bible says that God was in heaven. He looked down and he cared enough to come to this earth. And the Bible says that as he was on this earth, he lived a perfect life. Now, from Jesus' birth to about 12 years of age, we don't have a whole lot of information. We have a good bit of information about his birth, and that's where we celebrate what? We celebrate Christmas. And we talk about the Christmas story because we have quite a bit of information about his very important birth. From ages 12 to 30, we don't have a whole lot of information, but we do have a verse in Luke chapter 2, verse 52. Jesus was age 12, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 42. And in verse 52, it says, And Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So we have this snapshot when Jesus was 12 years old where we see that he's growing up. And then when we get to Mark cha- or Luke chapter 3, the Bible fast forwards all the way to the age of 30 years old. And what we have from 30 to age 33, and really we, we believe it was probably, he was probably, he started his public ministry uh, at the age of 30 and that lasted for about three years. And so he probably died when he was about 33 years of age. Those years, that, that several years, that period is really what we read and we see Jesus live out in what we call the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. His life and His ministry. And that life that He lived is summed up in several verses, but but one verse that really kind of sums up Jesus' life, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, But we have one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. The Bible says that Jesus Christ lived a regular, a life just like you live. He's experienced the things that you've experienced, and yet he did that perfectly. He did that without ever committing a sin. Therefore, it says, let us draw near with confidence. By the way, some of you think that some of us have been taught because of his perfection, he would never have anything to do with us. But that is not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God cares about us and that God understands our struggles. Write that down. God understands our struggles. These verses in Hebrews say, listen, Jesus went through, as he was living his life on this earth, he went through the same things that we go through. He did it without sin. And rather than saying, as a result of that, he would have nothing to do with you. He says, no, in light of that, let us draw near to him with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm sorry that for so many people, our experience of church has been stay away from God. 
Because he is too good for you. Well, there's a measure of truth to that. He is too good for me. But the Bible says that he wants to have a relationship with us, that he cares about us, and that because he was victorious and understands the struggles that we go through, that rather than pushing us away, he wants us to draw near to him. And then the Bible says that Jesus suffered and died. We said that this week, this time of year, is usually called Easter, but there's actually another term that many times we use for this last week. We call it the Passion, right? We call it the Passion Week. And the reason for that, the word passion, many times normally when we think of passion, we think of somebody that's really into something, right? A very passionate person. But that's not what's being said when we talk about the passion of Jesus. The word passion, when we talk about the passion of Jesus, comes from a word that means suffering. The Bible says that Jesus suffered for us. Write that down. Passion Week means that Jesus suffered and died for us. Sometimes as we look at that week, the Passion Week, as we look at the suffering of Christ, it can be a little bit difficult to kind of piece together exactly just right the exact days of the events that happen as we read them in God's Word. But but I want to give you just a little bit of a snapshot of what I believe is pretty close to what seems to have happened the last week of Jesus' life here on this earth. First of all, on Sunday. Last week, we celebrate as Christians around the world, we celebrate what? We celebrate Palm Sunday, right? And we, we do that because of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. There was a great parade. We call it Palm Sunday because the people were waving palm branches. And palm branches are a symbol of victory. And so people were were celebrating Jesus, His triumphal entry as He was coming into town. And then on Sunday, we see Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. Why did He do that? Because He looked out over a city that God had ordained that that city be a place that the whole world could hear about God and learn about Him. But as He looked over that city, now listen, many of us who maybe have never been to church much in our lives, or maybe this is the first time you've ever been, we think we're so unworthy to come before God. But actually, God in His Word has the strongest words for those who claim to be His followers, who claim to be Christians, but who are misrepresenting God. And Jesus looked over Jerusalem. He said, Jerusalem, you are supposed to be representing me to the world. And yet you're so far from my purpose. And then he goes into the temple and he he looks around. He sees not only was Jerusalem to be a place that represented him, but specifically that temple was to be a place where people from all over the world could come and could find God and could hear about God. And yet when God walked into his own temple... If you want to put it this way, the church, his supposed people, had gotten very far away from being representatives of God. On Monday of that week, Jesus curses the fig tree. Again, you see so many symbols here. You see so many episodes where Jesus is really speaking to those who claim to be his people. He curses the fig tree because the fig tree was representative of the nation of Israel. He cleanses the temple. He had gone into the temple on Sunday and just looked around, but it it says he came in on Monday 
and he cleanses the temple. He drives out all the garbage that was going on. He said, enough. This is supposed to be a place where people could meet with me. But it has gotten far away from that. In fact, it has become a place where bad people can hang out. And God was very upset that his people were misrepresenting him on Tuesday. We see him interacting with those religious leaders, the, the, the priests of the Jewish people, the, those who are supposed to be spiritual leaders, but were hurting other people. We see Jesus again lamenting over Jerusalem, his heart being broken that his city was not representing him. We see Jesus giving a lot of teaching, a lot of his final teaching. We call it, Bible teachers call it the Olivet Discourse. Because he was speaking on the Mount of Olives and he was sharing with his followers some very important teaching. And then on Wednesday, many Bible teachers, as we look at the story, it seems like there's almost a silence on Wednesday. To be honest with you, I'm not sure why that is. It seems that on that day, very likely those religious leaders, now listen, those who were supposed to be pointing others to God were actually plotting to eliminate God's presence. They didn't want God around because they had a good racket. They were exploiting people in the name of God and they were plotting to get God out of their way. Wow, amen? On Thursday, Jesus has, we celebrate communion. We celebrate, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Really, we're celebrating, we're remembering that last supper that Jesus had with his followers. As he was sharing with them, he was about to die on the cross for them and for us. He was sharing that plan. He gave them a new commandment. He says, I want you to be known for love. I want my people to be known for love. And if you love one another, then the whole world will know that I am God and will come to me. He promised them the Holy Spirit. He said, listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send my spirit to lead you and to be with you. He went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there began his intense night of suffering. On Friday, Jesus had his trials. There were the Jewish leaders, those religious leaders. They put him on trial. And then they got him in trouble with the Roman leaders. They put him on trial. So he goes before the high priest and he goes before the Jewish Sanhedrin. He goes before Pilate. He goes before Herod. He goes back to Pilate. And then he's crucified and he dies. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. On Friday, Jesus was buried. On Saturday, Jesus was in the grave. By the way, he wasn't in the grave. He told the thief on the cross, this day you will be with me where? In paradise. And on Sunday, he rose from the dead. Wow, today, as I got up, I just thought, what would it have been like to be a follower of Jesus 2,000 years ago? And to be concerned, to, to really believe it's over. It's over. And then to find out on Sunday that he had risen, that he was alive, and that he could give us forgiveness and eternal life. And I wonder, do we realize the price that Christ paid on the cross? The physical price. Do you know that He was flogged? He was scourged? He was strapped to a pole. And they took these leather straps and they would bring them. The leather straps would have rocks and pieces of broken pottery. And they would bring those across Jesus' back. And then after that, He would have had to carry 
either the whole cross or, or, or at least the, the horizontal beam to the side of the resurrection. And then his hands would have been nailed to the cross and his, knees, his feet would have been nailed to the cross. And God was lifted into the sky on a tree that he made. There was the physical price, the emotional price. He was betrayed and forsaken by his closest friends and followers. He was up all night. I can't stay up all night. I'm too old. Kids ask me to go to a lockout. I'm too old to stay up all night. Can you imagine being up all night on trial? Can you imagine being falsely accused and beaten? Can you imagine the Roman cohort could have been hundreds of soldiers? Has anybody ever been in a boy's locker room? And he was beaten by Roman soldiers. He was slapped in the face. They spat in his face. But really, that that doesn't even compare with the spiritual price. Listen to these verses. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. It says, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by His wounds you were healed. Isaiah 53, hundreds of years before Christ died on the cross. Isaiah, in great exact detail, prophesied that Christ was going to die on the cross. And just to read a portion of that in verse 5, it says, But He was pierced through for, what? You say it. Our transgressions. He didn't do wrong. I did wrong. He was pierced through. And that's not figurative. He literally was pierced. For my transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us. And we would have to, if we're honest, say, Amen, I have. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all. To fall on Him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says this, He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. In those moments, Jesus took the eternal punishment that you and I would have individually had to pay for our own sins. He took mine and yours and billions more that have ever lived upon himself. He literally became the lightning rod for God's wrath against sin. It's called, theologians call it the substitutionary atonement of Christ. It literally means Jesus was dying in my place. I should have been on that cross. You should have been on that cross. But God didn't want you to be on that cross. He knew you couldn't make the payment. And so God did it Himself. Isn't it amazing? Write that down. God paid our debt. That's what the Easter story is. God paid our debt. And then the Bible says that Jesus rose again. How important is it that Jesus rose again? Well, the Bible says, God's Word says, that if Jesus had not risen again, then we're wasting our time. 
out of all the things that God's Word says, out of all the things that Christ did, if He is not risen, it's all worthless. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 7. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Why? Why is that, we might say? Well, if He didn't rise, then He couldn't back up what He said. What would have destroyed us did destroy Him if He did not rise. But He did rise. And so because He's able to rise, He's able to free us from our death and our debt to sin and to give us life that nothing can ever take away, not even physical death. Wow, amen? He did. He did rise from the dead. He can. He can give us life that lasts forever. I love the way Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 through 16 puts it. I love these verses. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh. And that's just kind of a, we don't have time to explain that. That's kind of a Bible way of saying we're not like God, okay? When you were like that, He made you alive together with Him. Listen to this, friends. Having forgiven us, you say it. Oh, our transgressions. Now listen to how picturesque this language is. Having canceled out the certificate. I say the three best words in the English language are paid in full. It works for house payments. It works for college loans. Amen. <laughs> Doctor's bills. He canceled out. Let me, hear, let me have your bill. He canceled out the certificate of the debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way. Literally, you can see Jesus taking your mortgage, if you will, and nailed it to the cross. When his hands were nailed to that cross, your debt was being nailed to that cross. When he had, I love this, disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. Now, this is an ancient military practice of humiliating your enemies who you've defeated by parading them through town in shame, showing everyone that they are utterly defeated. The enemy of our soul, God has put on public display and marched through town and said, He is defeated. 1 Corinthians Back to that chapter, verses 55 through 57. Oh, death, where is your victory? A Christian, if you've, if you've put your faith in Christ, it says, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Write that down. God won our salvation. And you could write out beside that. He gave us victory. Right off the word victory. You know, I think it's super interesting that most of the information that we have about Jesus is not only focused on years 30 through 33 of His life. Actually, most of the information we have about Jesus is focused on this past week that we observe. Listen to this. In the book of Matthew, there are 28 chapters. Eight of those chapters, almost a third of the whole Gospel of Matthew is the last week of his life. 
In the book of Mark, there are 16 chapters. Six of the 16 chapters of the account of of Mark, the apostle, almost 40% is about the last week of Jesus' life. In Luke, six of the 24 chapters, 25% of what Luke records is about the last week of Jesus' life. In the book of John, almost a half. Ten of the 21 chapters in John are about the last week. If Jesus lived 33 years as we believe He did, He lived about 1,700 weeks. And yet this one week accounts for a third of the stories of the Gospels. Think about that. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John have 89 chapters. And 30 of those chapters are about the last week of Jesus' life. We should ask why, amen? Why is it so important to God? Why is it so important for us? It's because Easter is a story of change. Easter has literally changed everything. And we need to know that. But friends, I need to share something with you. That story, the story of Easter, it has to become real to us. It has to be personal to me and to you. In fact, it might be more appropriate to say Easter has made it possible for everything to be changed. In other words, just because Jesus did all this, that does not necessarily mean that your life or that my life will be changed. So let's talk about this. Write that down. Beginning to see God's change in your own life. Friend, I want you to know, and more importantly, God wants you to know that Easter is a story of change. And the fact is, your life can be changed because of Easter. Amen, anybody? Now again, there might be some of us here who would resist that idea of change. But in our hearts, either now, if we're honest, either now or sometime in the past or sometime in the future, at some point, we all come to the place of realizing my life needs to change. You heard some stories about people who came to that place. And I'm not just talking about I need to lose a few extra pounds or I need to give up X, Y, Z, whatever it is in your life. We realize that I cannot do this thing called life on my own. I need help. And we have a sense that God must must be involved with that in some way. For many of us, that's why you're here today. And if that is what you want, what you realize you need this Easter, I want to talk to you about that for just a moment. The Bible says that it begins with an open heart that is described like this. The Bible calls it, the words the Bible uses are repentance and faith. Repentance means, I don't like my life. I don't like it. I don't like what I've been doing. Now, we fight that, don't we? We fight that for a while, but eventually we get to the point of saying, I have not done a very good job with this thing. And I want it to change. Repentance is, God, I'm sorry for what I've done. And faith is in God. I want to trust in you and what you've done and what you can do with my life. And that open heart is really expressed in a prayer. Listen to Romans chapter 10, verses 8 through 13. It says, But what does it say? The word is near you. God is not far from us, it is right there. It is in your mouth, it is in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe, and that's the word for faith, if you put your faith in him in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. 
Now, some of you heard us singing earlier, I got saved. Or you hear that language, you're like, what does that mean? That sounds awful religious, churchy. The word I like to, the way I like to translate that is rescued. I was rescued. Amen. I was living my way and God rescued me from my way and even bigger than that from my sin that would have destroyed me. But if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes or faiths resulting in righteousness and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. For the scripture says, whoever. Some of us right here say, not me. You don't know me. No, there's no exception in there. Does anybody see one? Whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. Now, there's an amen to that. But actually, I like this translation. That literally can be translated. Whoever trusts in him will never be put to shame. Wow. You're a little bit nervous about trusting God. You can trust him. Whoever puts their trust in him will never say, oh my goodness, I got hung out to dry. You will never be put to shame for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. John chapter 1 verse 12. It says, but as many as received Him, to them, to those people, He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe or who trust in His name. Did you know, listen, write this down. Right now, this very moment, your life could be changed for all of eternity. Did you know that? And listen, friend, I want to challenge you. Don't despise it. Listen, I know, if I was you, I'm sitting in that seat. That seems too simple, Right? But you know what? We'd fuss at God if He made it hard. Right? Isn't He a good God that He's made it so simple for us? That a little child, that an elderly person, that people from any culture throughout all history, no matter what age we live in, it's a very simple message. Trust in what God has done for you and your life will be changed. Because of Easter, your sins can be forgiven. Didn't they say that in Colossians? Your past sins your present sins, and even your future sins. You say, how's that future thing possible? I didn't say we're innocent. I said we're forgiven. I could still owe a debt, but somebody said, I'm not going to make you pay it, right? God will begin working in your life, leading your life, growing you, and you will have the promise that one day you'll go to heaven. By the way, if you weren't here with us over the last six or eight weeks, we've been studying about heaven. It is awesome. And that happens by receiving Him, by calling upon His name. And it can be expressed. There's a prayer up on the screen that maybe expresses the desire of your heart. That is a prayer we call the prayer of salvation. And it's just representative of what the Bible says Christ done for us and how a person can express to God that I want to receive that gift. For many of us, that's exactly what you need to do today. Would you do that? Would you just accept this amazing offer from God. And the Bible says if you're willing to do that, you will be rescued and you will become a child of God. But you know what? A lot of us have made that. We've received, we've experienced that change. But I want to talk to you lastly about this experiencing the most of God's change in your life. I read this story recently about a lady named Hetty Green. Maybe you've heard of her before. She was born to a rich family in Massachusetts in the 1800s. When her mom died, her mom left to her the equivalent of today what would be a quarter of a million dollars. 
Then her aunt died and left her a half a million dollars. Then her dad died, and it's getting better, $80 million in today's money. That same year, another aunt died, leaving her $12 million in today's money. And Mrs. Green, she didn't sit on that money. She was a very astute businesswoman and investor. And when she died, she had about 2 to $4 billion in today's money off of the initial almost $100 million that she was given in today's money. But she is legendary for something else. She is legendary for being one of the world's greatest misers. She's, she's very well known for she would never turn her heat on. She wouldn't use hot water. She wore one outfit all the time. She wouldn't wash her hands because she wanted to save soap and water. She haggled with waiters at the restaurants she went to. She lived in small apartments. Many times she refused medical treatment or, 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 or would continue to pursue free treatment rather than getting the treatment she could pay for. And some have even said because of that, her son lost his leg. Because his mom wouldn't pay for the treatment quick enough. In other words, here's a lady who had tremendous resources, but she never put them to work in her life. Did you know that God wants more for you than just for you to go to heaven? Let me read you a verse, a couple of verses, Philippians 1, 9 through 11. And I'm going to read this out of the New Living Translation. I love the sense of this. It says, I pray that your love will overflow more and more. And that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters. So that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day of Christ's return. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation. The righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. When you accept Christ's offer of salvation that we talked about just a moment ago, when you become a child of God, you become a child of the King and you have access to all that He is and all that He has. But there are many children of God who have been changed in that way, but they are not accessing the even more amazing change that God has for them in the future. How many times do we go and have a baby and then just say, oh, that was cool, and leave them at the hospital, right? We have a baby because we want that baby. Birth is the beginning of the process, right? There's a whole life to live. Do you want to know and understand God better? How many of us would say, I don't know much about the Bible. I don't know much about walking with God. It kind of freaks me out a little bit to say that, that God will speak to me, but, but there seem to be some people that, that God, in a very real way, communicates in some way His message for their life, and they're following Him, and that's making a difference, and I'd like to learn how to do that. How many of us would like a marriage that is fulfilled and blessed? How many of us would like to know that we're leading our kids in the right direction? Amen? That we're setting them on a path that will be healthy for their lives. To get out of bondage to money and debt. How many of us would like to be set free from addictions to sex or to, to substance abuse or something else? To stop feeling like you have to impress everybody else and please everybody else? How many would like to quit being so nervous about the mess of this world 
and the uncertainty of it, and to know that you're going to make it. And all of that is available to you if you want to experience the most out of your change. But it doesn't just happen. It comes from developing a daily relationship with God. Many people have made the decision to accept God's offer of salvation. But like me, when I was younger, they've never been what we call, the Bible calls disciple. And that just means you've never had anyone help you grow in that. But can I share something with you? You will never see the full extent of what God can do in your life until you decide to start growing in Him. Write that down. I will never see the full extent of what God can do in my life until I make a decision to let Him start growing me. That's why we've developed something at New Hope called The Journey. And we're going to actually begin a series next week about sort of unpacking. What does it look like to walk with God? And not just for you, but us together. How can we together as a family grow in Him? So we're going to start that series next week. And maybe God's calling, you know what? It's time. I I need to give my life to Christ today. And then I need to begin that journey with God. It's a great opportunity for you to take those steps. So Easter, it's about change. Amen? God came and changed everything. And He offers the opportunity for your life to be changed. To first of all receive that gift of salvation and to become a child of God. And then to enter into a relationship where you are walking with Him for the rest of your life, growing in Him. Not perfect. Thank God the cross covers His past, present, future. But now set free where I can explore a relationship with God for the rest of my life. Until one day when God calls me home to be with Him in heaven. I want to ask you to bow your head with me for just a moment. I wonder, is there anyone here who would say, I know what I need to do. I need to give my life to Jesus Christ. I need God to change my life. And I need to make that decision right now. Is that you? If it is, you, you, you heard what the Bible says. If you will call upon the name of the Lord, then you will be saved, forgiven, rescued from your sins and be given a relationship with God. That's what Easter's all about. That is exactly what Easter's about. If you would be willing to say yes to God, maybe you could just express that in a prayer. You could just repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for loving me so much. Thank you for sending Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you that He rose again. And I ask Him to come into my heart to forgive me of my sins, to be my Savior, and to begin working in my life. And then very simple, He could just say, Thank you, God. Thank you for saving me. And the Bible says, if you sincerely call out to God, He will change your life starting now into all eternity. If you're here right now and you are a child of God, you've prayed that prayer. You've made that decision before. You know what we were just talking about. You, you, need, 
You need more than just to give your life to Christ through a prayer. You, you need to begin walking with Him. You need to begin learning and growing and becoming the person that He designed for you to be. First, is there anybody here that would just lift up your hand? Nobody else looking around. Say, Pastor Robbie, I'm a believer. But I need to take some steps of growth. Anybody? I can pray for you right now. Amen. Amen. Amen all over this room. God bless you. And Father, I just pray for each precious person that's lifted up their hand. And you see their heart. You know their desire. And they've given their life to you. And I pray that today would be the beginning of something different. They've already started a relationship with you, but there's more that you want for them. And I pray that today would be the beginning of that. I wonder right now, nobody else looking but me. Is there anybody, just a moment ago, when I prayed that prayer, that that expressed the desire of your heart and you repeated after me, and you asked God to come into your heart and be your Savior? I want to pray for you. Would you just lift up your hand? Just briefly, anybody. Amen. Amen. Anybody else? God bless you. Amen. Anybody else? God bless you. Mm. In case you ever wondered, the Bible says that heaven, look at Luke 15. The Bible says that heaven stops and has a party, rejoices when someone turns their life over to God. And we rejoice with you, friend. Father, thank you. Thank you for changing everything. You came and did what we could not do for ourselves. And I thank you for those who just a moment ago gave their life to you. We pray that you would encourage them, that you would lead them, and that you would grow them. And God, if we can be a part of that, help us to be. In Jesus' name.